The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, As my regular listeners know, I am a storyteller at heart. That is how I make my living as an interpretive planner and a writer. And today I am thrilled uh, to be able to talk about uh, a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and that is storytelling in the 21st century. And I have with me today three fabulous guests who are really at the cutting edge of thinking about how we tell stories in the museum in this 21st century, in this digital age. I have with me today Peter Vega, who works uh, in business development for IZI Travel. And I have with me David Markowitz, who heads up strategy and partnership at Listen Up Audio. And I have also Sandy Goldberg, who is an independent museum media content strategist, writer, and producer. And so thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. So... So, uh, Peter, I'm going to start with you. Uh, As you know, I always like my guests to really share their own career path uh, uh, in their own words. And so if you would be kind enough to do that. And, of course, highlighting one or two experiences that have shaped the way you think about museums. Absolutely. Um, So I have been uh, working in the museum industry for about six years now um, after receiving my uh, master's degree in museum studies from uh, New York University. Uh, I've worked in various museums in New York um, and also for a museum audio guide vendor over those years. And um, I recently started with... uh, Easy Travel is IZI Travel, um, and uh, in December of 2015, um, and uh, my passion for museums comes from um, the idea of preserving stories. I majored in um, in history in my undergrad, um, and so I loved the uh, idea of learning and retelling stories as much as possible. Uh, and museums are the leaders in 
collecting these stories. So I uh, got into this business hoping to uh, help them as much as possible in telling more and more of their stories. Um, That's a little bit of my background. That's fabulous. Uh, and of course, doing, uh, doing your graduate work in New York, you were at the sort of heart of some of the best museums, both large and small, uh, in the world. And so I'm sure that that was also part of your education. Yes, absolutely. Uh, David, would you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, also an NYU grad, I was a theater major. And then spent over 20 years in audio storytelling, um, many years as an audiobook producer and director, and uh, eventually I ran the studios of recorded books for a bunch of years, um, one of the larger independent audiobook publishers. Um, and then in the past couple of years, I've been really more of a, an audio strategist and consultant for startups and major publishers, major news publishers. Um, helping them create audio versions of what they're doing and other ways of reaching out in audio, really using technology um, to do that. So one of the fun things I did recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, is I got to work with the Cooper Hewitt when they were redesigning their space, and I produced their wallpaper room, uh, interviewing a bunch of wallpaper designers and various designers. Um, And then in the past year, I've been working with Listen Up Audio. I've known the CEO for over a decade. And really, again, trying to find new ways of telling stories in audio and new ways of reaching people. Um, again, we do mostly audiobooks, but this was an opportunity. I, I found the guys at Easy Travel and I thought this would be a great way to create content as well as produce content um, in a new, new audio format. And so that's really where, where we're coming at this. That's fabulous, and I, I uh, will get into this a little bit more. I mean, the, just the 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 your title of being an audio strategist certainly that would go on the top of my list of uh, job careers that were certainly not available even five years ago. So, so it's uh, you you are bringing a very interesting perspective to the museum field, and I'll be delighted to uh, hear more about your perspective in a little bit. But Sandy, I want to get you in on the conversation. Conversation. Uh, you you have a uh, different career trajectory, and you but you bring a great deal uh, to this conversation and having to uh, having to do with audio and uh, media production. Could you share your background, please? Sure. I mean, I I came to museums just with a passion for them because sort of early experiences as a young teenager just discovering museums on my own sort of changed my own life. So it was always sort of a dream. It was very personal. And so um, I started my earliest jobs in the museum world were actually, David, I'm interested. It's interesting. I was also at the Cooper Hewitt, but in the early years, my early years mm-hmm. as a freelance registrar and then also at SF MoMA. Um, and I moved and I liked being a registrar because it was one of the few uh, jobs in the museum where you actually touched the works of art and you spent a long time looking at them really closely. But then I slowly became an interpretive writer um, because that seemed to be a strength and I actually worked for an, a classic kind of old audio guide company and I, then I became their head writer before becoming independent again. So when working with museums, I've found that I really like being independent instead of being on staff because 
first of all, that's how I want to live my life, but also I found that that's how to have the biggest impact because coming in as an outsider, I'm sort of listened to in a way and not getting mired in their internal politics. And one experience that was formative for me was about 10 years ago uh, when I first moved to the UK for a few years. It was my first project with Tate Modern. And I was brought on as a script writer for what they considered their first blockbuster exhibition, because back in 2005, Tate Modern was just getting going with that. And this was the first time anybody had developed, wanted to develop a multimedia guide for a temporary exhibition, because at that point, multimedia was considered to be such a long, complicated process. Um, but the project was really successful. It won a Muse Award, I think, because I didn't know how to do it. So I wasn't making the same mistakes that other people were making. So I think in this way, it showed me that it was all about visitor experience. Like my personal experience in museums, my caring about it from a personal point of view, led me to not think about technology or what designers had always done, but think about the visitor experience as the primary thing that was happening in that space. So that's how I come to it now. Sandy, that's fabulous, and I and uh, there there's so much there to unpack uh, in the next um, uh, next hour of conversation. But one of the things that I I was really struck with is when you talk about the uh, you know even back in 2005, ten years ago, which for me doesn't seem like you know hardly any time has gone by at all. But uh, but how different and how how much the technology, the 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 hardware. Uh, uh, the complications of the software, uh, the the just just uh, the time it took to develop one of these projects uh, was truly so very very cumbersome and took months, if not sometimes years, uh, to to get it right. Uh, simply from a technical standpoint, and I'll be interested in uh, all of your perspective later on on how perhaps some of those uh, software Solving some of those technical problems have then released you all to be thinking about your work in uh, in a different way. But so let's put a pin in that, Peter. I want to get back to you a little bit uh, because I am really fascinated with Eye uh, Travel or Easy Travel. I guess is is how you say it. Although the website for people who are interested is Travel. Uh, but Peter, tell tell me about this company and 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 uh, particularly, it is a very unique. It has a very unique approach. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the uh, the habit of bringing on uh, specific uh, companies per se, but I was just so struck with the approach that you're taking. Great. Yeah. So, um, Easy Travel uh, is a company that is. Uh, it's based in Amsterdam, um, and over the last few months, uh, we've been expanding to the United States. Um, and so there are, there are two parts to the, to the company. And first is that it is an app that uh, anyone can download on their smartphone for free uh, that houses 
um, multimedia tours for museums and cities all over the world. Um, although we're still growing in the U.S. because we're just started here a, couple, a few months ago. Um, so the majority of the tours on the platform right now are in uh, Europe and Asia. Um, but hopefully we'll have more soon. Um, and the tours are provided based on the location of whatever city you're in um, using the GPS function and smartphones. Um, and then the second part of it, um, I think, is the most exciting part, actually, is the open source content management system. Um, that is a web-based content management system for content providers like museums, attractions, city authorities, independent writers. Anybody who wants to get involved can um, upload and publish their content as tours uh, for free. Um, it's free to register on the uh, on the website. And why I think uh, this this uh, concept is a little more interesting and and fascinating from uh, from other projects is because uh, the idea of it being a completely free and open source platform for anybody to be able to publish their content. A lot of other um, platforms uh, and content management systems are subscription-based and um, cost to get into the, uh, just to use the system. And so our idea is, um, I think, interesting, especially for the museum industry to be a resource uh, for um, a lot of museums who may not have the technical resources or funds or resources to spend on um, the technology side of, of um, creating multimedia tours. Um, and this allows them to have a platform to use that's completely free uh, to be able to develop their own um, tours. And uh, I think that is probably the most exciting part of it. I Yes, I, I think that that's fabulous. Now, Peter, I want to ask you what I know um, for you is probably, a, you know, an absolutely, a, uh, you know, technology 101 question, but just for the benefit of some of our listeners and for me, could you just explain a little bit more about what you mean by open source? I mean, you, you mentioned, of course, that it was, you know, at, as opposed to someone who uh, maybe they're working with a company that provides them with a with a bit of software, a bit of technology, and then they have to go back to that individual uh, or, or company to to make a change. Uh, but so what what is the difference? Is it in the software or is it just in the way that it is um, uh, marketed? Um, I think it's, it's not necessarily in the software. I think that um, a lot of companies choose to have their... Um, their content management systems as a subscription-based system as a way to make revenue on that sort of system. And what we're trying to do is actually just challenge that a little bit and say, well, it only costs us so much to develop this one platform that anybody can use. So let's people use it as much as they would like, as much as possible. Um, And it's, so that's the idea of what it is in, in open source. It's, uh, we've spent our, our time and resources developing this system, um, but we, we just want as many people to use it as much as possible um, so that uh, our vision is that the more people that use our platform, the more people that, doubt, <clears throat> that download our app, 
um, that's the success of, of easy travel. That's how we are going to be successful in the end. Um, and so uh, I think it's approaching it from a little different vision. Um, and so that's where I think that our definition of open source uh, comes from a little bit. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. While there's a lot we can talk about uh, uh, just with, uh, with, with that and the potential of sort of having a universal app that you can use wherever you are in the world uh, instead of, uh, of having to uh, download specific uh, programs for specific museums. I, I think the potential there is just is very, very interesting for both uh, audiences and museums. Uh, but David, I want to bring you back in here you you indicated that you had uh, become involved uh, with um, easy travel just could you share a little bit about what what how you're working with them and your thoughts about the potential of of this this particular approach absolutely um so yeah like you know we we have been producing audiobooks we have bunch of studios based in Atlanta. We have 150 narrators that we work with regularly. We work with every major publisher. And we have these resources, and we have been looking around saying, what other ways can we tell stories? Where, where else can we uh, create content? A lot of times we're hired just as producers. We want to also be able to create content. We know a lot of people in the radio journalism world. That's sort of a very similar world to what we're doing. Um, and so I was thinking about having worked with Cooper Hewitt. I'm like, oh, we should work with more museums. That would be a great way for us to sort of expand what we're doing. And I don't remember even how I found Easy Travel, but I reached out to uh, one of their people and he said, oh, I've got this project I'm working on and we want to produce a bunch of walking tours of different cities. And that's where we're going to start to to grow the platform here. Um, and so we've done four tours for them so far and going to be producing a bunch more. Uh, and I really, I feel that, you know, what's happened is we're walking around with these very powerful computers in our pockets. And like you were saying, all of that technology that was so difficult to program and create and build, we don't need to do that anymore. And we're moving away even from, from apps as these closed little worlds to platforms. And easy travel is clearly this platform that can be used to tell stories in all sorts of ways. So for us, you know, we see it as a real opportunity to go out and, and it's not, I, I don't see even it as, uh, as competing with existing technologies so much as opening up a, a big floor that's been waiting for people to step in. I've worked a lot with libraries in the past and, you know, that, that local there's so much local that you can't, that people could never afford to do a local walking tour. Well, now you can, and anyone can do it. And so, um, yeah, we re- we're really excited for the possibility for not the, not the major museums, but a lot of the small ones, a lot of the historical societies, um, and those types of environments where we can go to them and say, we can create a tour for you from scratch, of however you want it to be. That's that's fabulous. Uh, we are Sandy. Don't don't worry. I I am going to come back to you. But after break, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, more about uh, these sort of new. Uh, 
uh, vistas, so to speak, about uh, storytelling in a digital age now that we've gotten some of the technology hurdles out of the way. Uh, So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life, and today we are talking about uh, new platforms that are opening up new ways for us to tell digital stories, and particularly in ways that uh, are allowing us finally to not worry about the uh, both the the uh, technological implications or even the cost of the uh, the hardware, the technology per se, but really is allowing us to open up and, and think in uh, new ways. Our imaginations can be boundless in thinking about new ways of telling stories. And with that, uh, Sandy, uh, I would like to get you back into the show. Uh, I I loved what you said uh, when you were talking about your work at the Tate Modern and and uh, and how successful it was and and yes you did you won a Muse Award for it when those are not just given away so congratulations on that but that that you uh, you 
owned a part of your success to just not knowing what you were doing, which I think is probably a little self-effacing. I'm sure you did. You had good instincts and also good skills. Uh, But I wanted you to then just share a little bit about how your practice has evolved to include these, uh, these technologies. Well, I'm not at heart a technologist. Um, so that's sort of been my challenge over this decade or so of these seismic changes. It's sort of hard to keep up. But, you know, it's, it's a learning curve on my end, but I really prize my relationship with technicians and with designers. And one thing I've really learned over this time is that um, it's, it's a detriment to a project to think about the platform and the interface and the design and the content is different things. They're not different things. They're all, they all wrap into this idea of the user experience. And I think that's one thing I've pushed over this decade is seeing that clearly I need to work hand-in-hand with designers to sit down with them instead of having them design an interactive and then expect the so-called content producer to sort of fill the buckets, so to speak, of the interactive. It's all a matter of sitting down with other people and partnering with interesting people and and coming to it from everybody's different angle and forcing myself to say, okay, I know this design in the past has done X, Y, so therefore it must be able to do X, Y, Z and just sort of put it out there and collaborate with people like that. It sounds it sounds as if you are a fearless creator. <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting, what we were talking about before the break, about this new sort of open platform, one thing over the years I've been a little frustrated sometimes about how each museum often has similar stories. I mean, we know in certain kinds of collections, certain kinds of objects show up again and again. And I've tried hard over the years to sort of get museums to collaborate on stories. It makes it more interesting that Museum A and Museum B have such similar, have the two same Neolithic style objects. And now isn't that more interesting that there's two of them rather that there's one of them. So I really like this idea of creating stories between museums. And I've been able to do this somewhat, but sometimes it's hard for the museums to see the advantage of it. But there is this idea that especially within a given city, if there is an open source in which museums in the same city are in the same platform, that a shared story really works well for that particular use. Mm. That's a, that is very true. Uh, and and a wonderful way of of trying to get museums to think a little more uh, collaboratively. It reminds me of several conversations that I've had with with others on the show. It really is becoming a a, a recurring theme, and I think bears mentioning here as well. Is that with contemporary technologies, as David mentioned, having a you know computer in our pocket, uh, we need. We have to think digitally. We cannot be thinking in analog terms anymore. And I think the the argument that that you and I and others have have uh, run up against, where a museum says, "But we have the only fill in the blank," or "We right. have the best fill in the blank." Well, they may uh, uh, have the the best or the brightest, but that it is. Uh, 
uh, in our nature as humans and certainly as digital humans to want to make comparisons and connections uh, as opposed to just being uh, individual beads uh, that uh, that may or may not connect. And so I think that this is also a, another fascinating way uh, that this particular time is allowing us to move forward. Sandy, I wanted to follow up a little bit, if I may. Um, we talked a lot about storytelling and stories. Um, what do you, how do you define that within a museum context? I mean, it's certainly, it's not a book. Uh, right. It's, you know, so, so how do you define that? Well, storytelling is definitely the buzzword of the moment. Um, in fact, some of what I've, what I've been doing, I don't think has changed since we started using the word, but um, the fact that the, instead of just content, now it's called storytelling, or instead of interpretation, it's called storytelling, or God help us, remember the department used to be called education, and then it became <laughs> interpretation, and then now storytelling. So, but it is useful that this word is popular at this moment, because it pushes us to think about what is happening with the story. Um, because what a storyteller does, a traditional storyteller, uh, thought about the space in which the story happened. And it was a social experience. And that, I think, is very useful for us to think about. Um, I personally have always absolutely started from the end, just like a traditional storyteller does. What's happening in that space? What is that person doing? Are they standing? Are they sitting? What's going on around them? So, and then work back to the beginning. So the idea that we're calling it storytelling also implies that we want a surprise because storytelling, again, traditional storytelling always uses the element of surprise. Uh, I think that's really important because stories are emotionally memorable and then something that's memorable is by definition more educational because if you don't remember it, you didn't learn anything. So by using this word storytelling, even though, again, my process isn't different, it's showing the museum what's different between storytelling and what they used to think of as education. Interesting. That's a very, very good working definition. David, you too have been in this this uh, business for quite some time. How do you look at this? You know, as Sandy said, and, and it, it's a buzzword, storytelling. Uh, you, of course, have been working in the world of audiobooks, uh, which are stories, uh, fiction or nonfiction. How has your, your view of storytelling changed uh, or adapted to the museum context? Well, I, I, I have to agree with everything Sandy was just saying. It, uh, I was even taking notes. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I really, you know, we're just starting to really think of what we can be doing in the museum space. And I'm, we're excited for that, the other possibility, there's, there's the expert level where, you know, someone like Sandy will come in and, and bring that expertise and, with a platform like this, we can go to other levels as well, um, where you know I can hire a, a theater professional, or a playwright, or, or again a radio journalist, and say, "I want you to go to this place and create a great experience." But you know, I, I think of like, what if it were, you know, especially for a child, for a kid, 
to go to a museum and, and there's a, a mystery that needs to be solved involved with looking for different details in the artwork. Um, it doesn't require any particular art expertise to create that experience and would get them involved in, in a museum, in looking at art um, in a very different way. And so I think that for us, we're really going to be exploring other ways of telling that story um, and getting people who might not otherwise go to a museum excited about going. That's uh, that's very, very good as well. You know, the one thing I think about, um, I've just got to add my two cents, guys, sorry. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think about in storytelling and what makes a really, really great, memorable story is that it also is adaptable to the listener. That mm-hmm. not everything, some of the best stories I've ever heard have been really short. Uh, I'm a real fan of flash fiction, you know, telling a very uh, memorable story in less than a hundred words. Uh, because by leaving some things out to the imagination, uh, listeners can put in their own details and that makes it richer for that that individual and i think i think that's exactly it and also again what's nice about a platform like this there's no there's you know like how podcasting has changed radio you know there there's no set time there's no set experience that it has to be you're like oh here here's 10 minutes or here's just this one piece of art someone telling you about so there, there are so many different ways of using it, uh, which is exciting. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for following up on that. Peter, I'm sure you have some thoughts to add to this conversation. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I love this conversation about uh, storytelling. This is great because this is exactly what... Uh, what what the purpose and mission of, e- of Easy Travel is about. We really want um, a lot of the professionals and museums uh, in museums and museums themselves to kind of rethink this uh, idea of storytelling a bit. Um, and one of the ways that we are hoping to alleviate that is to um, give them a platform to be able to do that uh, in more creative ways. Um, but in, in terms of uh, in terms of storytelling, I think one of one of the things that come to mind, and a couple of my colleagues uh, talk about this often, is um, one of my favorite movies is uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, which all, a lot of us know. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where um, there's a teacher talking to her students on a tour of the museum, and she's telling them a great story about this beautiful piece of art, um, and uh, the students are just standing there looking bored and uninterested in, in, in what's in the fascinating story that the teacher is, is telling them. Um, and she decides uh, to tell them uh, at the end of it that the work of art is worth millions of dollars and all. They spend all this money to, to get this, this one piece of art. And that's when the students are all excited and interested and wowed by that. Um, and so I think it's kind of just a, a way of, of, of showing that uh, there's these small pieces of information that really kind of change uh, the way that um, storytelling can be approached, that there's there's exciting nuggets of information that um, can be given in small snippets uh, uh, that that kind of change the approach to to storytelling a bit. And I think that um, 
being part of uh, a, a company like Easy Travel and having this platform to allow um, museums to do this uh, this approach of storytelling differently is exciting. Um, and I think one of the things that Easy Travel tries to, to challenge museums is that you're spending so much money and, and time and resources on the technology. Let's put that time, money, and resources into um, what what our uh, our president CEO likes to call Hollywood quality stories. Um, let's take their collections that they already have that are beautiful and amazing and start telling these uh, Hollywood quality style stories. Um, if Hollywood can spend millions and millions of dollars in making a movie, why can't a museum spend more money on creating an exciting story around the existing content that they already have, the existing collection that they already have? Um, so I think that's a bit of a different approach um, that we hope to challenge museums in doing more and more. I love that phrase. I think I'm going to start using that one. Uh, the Hollywood story. Um that uh, it, it, I think, I think you are. You're absolutely uh, right. Uh, that uh, that we we tend to focus so much on the technology or separate the technology. Those of us who perhaps are not digital natives, uh, it it seems like such a magical black box. We almost don't know how to approach it, and it uh, can constrains our creativity. Um, you know, one thing I, I meant to mention uh, when we first. Started Started this segment, and I'm going to mention now, even though we have a little bit of time before the break, because I think it's really important. This entire topic is just so rich uh, that uh, one hour is not going to do it justice. But luckily, uh, for those um, colleagues on the East Coast, on March 22nd, there is going to be a workshop in Baltimore that is being sponsored uh, in uh, collaboration with museums in the web uh, on this very topic about uh, uh, using this sort of universal app, this, uh, this open source program, and how uh, we can do a better job of telling these digital stories, uh, which, by the way, are not necessarily linear stories, as David is uh, reminding us, on how we can do a much better job of, uh, of, of thinking creatively in this, this new world. And Peter, do you want to mention... I know that the you know that that we're still sort of in the the planning stages of this but is there anything else that you that you want to mention if people want to become involved in this workshop in Baltimore? Yeah, absolutely. So um, more details will be available through um, the Easy Travel website but also through museums and the web website. Um, once we start finalizing that, all that stuff should be out, uh, hopefully this week. Um, and so, uh, but if you're interested in, in learning more about it and want to contact me directly, um, you can reach out to me, um, via email, uh, peter.vega at easy.travel. Um, and I can send more details about that as well. That's fabulous. And, of course, if anyone ever wants information about this show or other guests, uh, just uh, give me uh, a shout-out uh, on Twitter at MuseWrite or uh, by email carol.bossard at verizon.net. I am always happy uh, to put uh, colleagues in contact uh, with uh, all of my guests and particularly uh, this group of very, very thoughtful, thoughtful people. Uh, and, David, you mentioned that there would be also a, a sample of a walking tour in Boston from uh, in, a walking 
Uh, is that correct? In Baltimore, uh, yes. Um, and yeah, we've got one. Uh, we just completed uh, one in Boston, one in Baltimore, and one in Philly. Um, and I think I don't know if they're published yet, but any day. And uh, but by then the the Baltimore one, and it's uh, it's really good. And the the team that put it together did a great job. Um, so if you're there, if you're at the conference, you know, make sure you get the app and take the tour and give us some feedback. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we are going to take our second break. And when we come back, more about digital storytelling and advice for making sure that you put your focus in the right place. So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and today we are talking about Storytelling 2.0, how we can tell great stories. As Peter Vega just reminded us, we can tell Hollywood stories uh, with all of the drama and excitement and emotional uh, memory that truly leads to the kinds of education and learning that we all hope uh, that our museums are providing. 
inviting and doing it in a way that really we're now at a point we can transcend the technology and we can focus on our stories. And so with that, uh, Sandy, I'd like you, um, you know, you clearly, as I said, you are a fearless collaborator and a storyteller. How do you approach uh, content development in, uh, say, one of uh, you know, when you're working with a new client? How do you how do you do that? Well, it's different every time because every museum is different. So, just first, I ask lots of questions, and I try to get the to the root and push them a little bit with their assumptions. I mean, I think sometimes a museum thinks that they want a certain product for an exhibition, for their new wing, for their permanent collection. And I would just say that's the first place to start questioning them is because just because they think they want something, that's not necessarily what should be delivered or what would be best for them. So I think a lot of upfront time before the project even starts is very useful. And one of the most meaningful experiences I had with this recently was with the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Starting about a year and a half ago, they wanted to rethink the entire museum. They were rehanging the whole museum. It was a total rethink. So I was brought in as part of that team. And a two-day retreat was run by this group called Frankly Green and Webb, who are really fantastic sort of assessors of of what museums need. And they just ran a workshop in which everything was out on the table. And we spent an enormous time of our time and budget, really, before the project even began, saying, okay, what's our manifesto? What do we really want this to be? So I think that's something that isn't often done, if you're just, particularly if you're doing a big project, is don't just jump in and start. Just question and question and question, and you could end up with something that's so much richer because you don't assume that you need to make what you thought you needed to make. That is extremely good advice. And so then my follow-up question to you is, um, once you've had that, that time uh, to, to really discern what, what's uh, the appropriate ap- approach, how, how do you really evaluate the best technical method for telling the story? Um, it might be the app platform that we're just talking about. It might be something completely different. How, how do you sort through all of the possibilities? Well, thankfully, that's not usually my primary job. But in general, we, of course, simpler is always better. You don't want the technology to get in people's way, and, um, and you, want it to, you want to figure out what is going to be the best holder and deliverer of that content and that experience. Um, but I would also say from, the point, from my personal point of view, um, when you're creating your stories, um, don't just think of them as plug-ins for what you think you're making now. There's lots of ways at the beginning of that process to do different edits, different versions that are simple and inexpensive to do from the beginning, and you could bank those, and they're for other platform uses. They're for throwing out in different places. So it shouldn't, one set of stories, I think, should not be tied to one device because that device is also going to change. So as, just go with it, make things as flexible as possible, and sort of if you have a certain set of functions that are in this particular technical uh, iteration, by all means use those, but don't let those be the entire mitigator of the experience. Oh, Sandy, that is such a good piece of advice that I, I want to, to underscore it, that it is, you know, the, the R&D 
part, uh, the finding of the stories, the doing the research, uh, that's, that's the tough part. That's the time uh, that, that really uh, can, can uh, eat up a project, but that once you have that done, it can be presented in a variety of different ways. And that is a model that I think will help all sorts of museums, particularly small museums, which uh, obviously... Uh, my favorite are historic homes uh, where they are doing fabulous, fabulous work, but of course, often with uh, just volunteers. And it seems as if this approach might allow them uh, to to become put a toll, perhaps, into this digital world in a way that is meaningful. And so, by by saying that, Peter, I'd, uh, if you could just talk a little bit more. I mean, I, I suppose one of the questions that you probably probably hear a lot any anymore is so why do we need another app aren't aren't apps passe isn't there you know or uh what shouldn't we be looking at the at something completely different how do you answer that yeah um so i i do feel that there are a lot of apps out there and especially in, in in this industry there are a lot of different ones that I mean, so many amazing ones uh, that I think that museums take really, really uh, interesting and creative approaches to do that. Um, and those, those ones stand out a lot. But I, I do think that there is kind of a need in the industry um, for uh, a unifying, uh, uh, not, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in, in an app form, but in this case, you know, we're delivering it in an app form. But I do think that um, uh, that a unifying uh, platform that museums can use, especially in their local cities, um, to create these stories amongst themselves um, is something that's kind of needed in this industry a little bit more. And I think that's why we feel that maybe there's room for this additional app um, with Easy Travel, that this allows them to create that, that unifying experience and tell their city stories as a whole um, through their cultural institutions uh, and, and their history. Um, and so I hope that, that that's where uh, there's a need for this, this type of app uh, to, to be successful. That's uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. I I, uh, I know many of us uh, in who listen to this program who are on the museum in the museum world. We are museum junkies, and uh, I never go to a city that I don't look for uh, not only the big museums but uh, the small museums, the out of the way places. And while sometimes I might look at a website uh, before I end up in a city, sometimes I don't, and how fabulous it might be to have this sort of universal app where I could say, what's, what is off the beaten path here? What can I learn about this, this neighborhood and, and, and this environment? I think that, uh, I think that's why this has captivated me uh, so much. Uh, David, you you have been in this uh, digital world for a long, long time. Um, I didn't want, doesn't make you sound old. It just makes you sound <laughs> experienced. Um, how, 
how do you, how have you thought about developing content um, on one uh, platform that then you then can migrate to another platform? Is there, can you give us an example? That's, it's, uh, yes, the, you know, there are so many different ways of distributing audio content today. Um, it can be, again, if you, you can imagine individual stories existing as part of a larger narrative or in maybe just as this one story. Um, there, you know, whether you can bundle it together into a podcast or, you know, and put it out on Stitcher or, or keep it inside of a, an app like this one that has geolocation um, so that it, it only plays when you're in that specific spot. So uh, we, it was interesting, actually, in one of the projects I worked with at Cooper Hewitt, they have an object of the day. And it's a, it's a website and an email newsletter. And, and uh, I was producing the audio. for So every day there would be an audio version of the object of the day. And eventually what they want is that every object in the museum will have an audio version. So it'll be there's a web version where you can go and listen to your object of the day. Or when you go to the museum, you can tap on something and it'll play that same audio in that environment. Um, so that's you know where where the audio can either be part of a larger tour or just as an individual experience. I think that's you know we're always looking for. I think it's great. Every, every, like like Sandy was saying, you always want to keep it open for these other ways of bundling or unbundling content. Yes, uh, great. Thank you. That's a wonderful example. And and Sandy, I think uh, what what you said just just uh, resonates with me uh, so much. Is that let's tell this, let's identify the story first. And the story is always the story or, or, or the narrative, the, the, the approach is always going to be what, what, is, uh, what stands the test of time. Uh, the platform is going to change. Uh, but if we have those stories ready, then it, uh, hopefully the next big change will be as easy as this uh, technological uh, shift um, is, is, uh, is now. Sandy, actually, all of you, you know, we're we're sort of we're running four minutes to close. This is the lightning round of the show. Um, I, I'd like to, and I'll I'll call on you uh, individually, but but I'd like you to uh, all address this question of what advice do you give museums, and again, particularly those smaller museums, for how they should evaluate the use of media to enhance their galleries, and you know, particularly. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, high tech uh, uh, applications, but uh, don't limit your answer to maybe there are times when low tech is just as as good, if not better. So what piece of advice do you want to leave uh, with uh, with museums who are listening to this show, either live or, of course, uh, listening uh, during the uh, as a podcast? Peter, do you want to take that one first? Sure. So I, I, you know, I think that the the idea of high tech and low tech, I, I kind of, I kind of move away from that a little bit because I think that there are a lot of low cost high tech solutions. Um, I think that there are that there's a lot of resources that smaller museums can use that are really low cost that will give them 
um, a lot of uh, the resources and maybe even more resources that a lot of uh, larger museums are using in terms of technology. And I think that it is just about looking at the industry out there more and maybe not necessarily in the museum industry, but outside of the industry itself to find these uh, low-cost. Uh, low or low cost high tech solutions. Um, there's so much of it out there, and I think that museums uh, should uh, try to tap that even more than and then they have. Great, great, David. What's your piece of advice? Um, yeah, I, I think it's you know there are it's it's become a, a, a freelance world, and there are freelancers all over the country with all sorts of expertise and what platforms like this and, and, you know, what all of these new freelance platforms are doing, it's, it's allowing smaller budgets and smaller institutions to access some really high quality work and, um, and to, you know, to start listening for that and looking around for that because you don't need to only go to the, you know, to New York or LA or wherever the big, you know, wherever the big, people are and the big places are, you can, you can start finding it um, wherever you are. And, and there are, so that would be my, uh, my advice. Great. And um, uh, Sandy, very quickly, what's your piece of advice? Well, I would say we shouldn't confuse high tech and low tech with high budget and low budget. Uh, because low-budget things very often, uh, like when Peter was talking about a Hollywood-style effect, that can be very effective. But on the other hand, we know that a lot of people find that sort of production inauthentic feeling. And if it's coming from the museum, sometimes people like a more transparent, raw style because it feels more resonant with them. They trust it more. That's And great. I would say in Thank terms of... Oh, go ahead. Go Thank ahead. you. I'm sorry. We have run out of time. Okay. I said that this was going to be rich, and it was. So, Sandy Goldberg, David Markowitz, and Peter Vega, thank you so much for being on the show today. And remember, the March 22nd, there will be a workshop in Baltimore with Museums and the Web and Easy Travel. Uh, make sure that you take some time uh, to participate in that. And thank you so much for my guests, and thank you for listening. We will be be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.